right, how's it going? It's Kip Casper, Clone Radio, LA's infinite repeat. How you doing out there? How's your drive time commute? I need a saga. What's the saga? It's songs for the deaf. You can't even hear it. <laughs> hey, howdy. I'm Josh. Welcome to Texture. This is my show where you never know what's going to happen. I don't know how this one's going to go today. I'm feeling a little, a little, uh, punchy, a little rough, not at my best. Let's put it that way. Uh, not, not super prepared, but still feel compelled to come out here to the cold garage and to talk, uh, not frivolously, but hopefully with a purpose and with usefulness. So let me tell you this. And as always, uh, this, the, the arc of this show, which I'll soon stop explaining. Listen, I, I don't want to talk here and do this because I think I'm so interesting, but because I hope that I'm communicating things that are relatable and that you can glean from because the show is more for you than it is for me. I, I hope that's, that's always the hope. So anyway, let me tell you this. The reason I give that complicated and and choppy preamble is just that, listen, this is going to be a story about my life, about what's happening lately, and I I hope that that it is ultimately helpful to you, okay? So let's go together and learn. So listen, I I recently finished up seeing a counselor, um, and I know that is sort of a iffy it's not it's not iffy but it's um there's never like a defined end so to speak with counselors and it sort of comes down to when do you the person the client seeing the counselor when when do you feel ready and and when do you agree with you know agree together with your counselor when you're sort of done so to speak, done being processed. And of course, that never means that you are 100% as a person. That never means you're flawless or sinless or whatever term you want to use. You're never walking out of there perfect, you know, swinging your arms and whistling and, you know, going on your merry way. Obviously, all of us, no matter how much processing or counseling or therapy we get, we're still humans and shit gets thrown our way in life that we have to deal with or, or shit doesn't get thrown and we still don't act well. Anyway, all that to say, um, I came to a close with my counselor after about five months, I think it was. And, um, because I felt like I had reached a point where while I loved going in and talking to him every week, there wasn't any new ground that we were covering. And uh, he was in agreement on this. And there, uh, specifically, um, I use the word processing because there was some um, EMDR involved and um, some bilateral stimulation, which is just a, a, a sort of it's there's many facets of that so it's it'd be better if you just go look it up online than me try to give you some broken definition of it but all that to say we did some different methods we got to the root of some stuff from childhood and from present day and you know 
knocked it out, so to speak. And uh, that doesn't mean that it's completely gone, that those areas of hurt or fear or, um, you know, anxiety, depression, sadness, anger, whatever. A lot of it seems to be identifying them, identifying those core things that either happens to you when you were young and it, uh, yeah, anyway, um, or that are currently happening to you now and how those are related. And listen, to be clear, it doesn't have to be some big gargantuan traumatic event. You know, I don't probably need to detail for you what those could possibly be for a child. Um, you're able to, you know what abuse is. And so I'm just saying, um, I would say overall, I had a generally good childhood, but still there was some stuff in there that was never dealt with and that was affecting me as a 30-year-old man. And um, there are naysayers out there, of course, who, who would say that counseling is bullshit and we're just a bunch of babies who need to grow up. Um, I disagree. And I I even understand the sort of mindset behind that sort of thinking because it's easy to be dismissive of these things that just feel very touchy-feely and they feel super vulnerable. Anyway, all that to say, there were things to process from my childhood. And even though I didn't have anything specifically traumatic or, or any of like the big ones, you know, being molested or physically abused or, you know, beat or having something horrific happen to you. Um, None of that's in my story. The point of this is that I finished up with my counselor. He was comfortable with me going out on my own into life again, you know, and I mean comfortable in the sense that he trusted that I wasn't uh, just lying to him or putting on, like telling him what he wanted to hear. And um, we've established enough of a rapport that even if I was trying to do that, I think he would see right through it. Um, Now, going back into life, you know, it's not like I wasn't living already in between seeing him, but uh, seeing a counselor can sometimes be a bit of a, a safety net, certainly a place to go and talk things out and generally leave there feeling better and just being reminded of truths about yourself and about life and kind of having like a little boost of positivity and encouragement and um, just fervor and vigor for life for the next week, you know, and then you come back and you're feeling kind of down, your batteries run out and then, you know, you get filled again. So all that to say, like, uh, once you stop seeing him, that peace goes away. And while I feel very well equipped it was scary and has been. It's been three or four weeks now. And uh, goodness sakes, it's been a pretty rocky, uh, I must admit, rocky and tumultuous. And um, I, felt, I felt the pull back to all the just depraved bullshit and garbage and poisonous habits and practices that I was doing before I got counseling. Um, or, or if I didn't go back to them, literally the, the desire was very strong. And for me, I mean, it sounds petty to, to name them because there's more to it than this, but essentially like, yeah, it's pornography and yeah, it's abusing alcohol. And even to some degree, like 
using food badly, eating too much or eating junk or just eating for comfort. And so don't don't zero in on those things in and of themselves. And what I'm saying is the being out sort of living life without the guardrails of a counselor, it, there there is this sort of pressure or at least awareness that sets in that's like, all right, you know what to do with these things. You know where these habits take you. You know why you were turning to them in the first place, what sadness was behind those, what anger was behind those, what discontentment, where you thought you were going to be satisfied by going and doing those things. And you've learned now in counseling that that's not true. And you've experienced the goodness and just the simplicity and joy of regular life without these um, additional things adding to it that just, that really just mess it all up. But there's, there, there is a scariness to it because it's like, all right, I, I am to some degree on my own now. And uh, that doesn't mean I don't have my wife or don't have friends to talk about these things with. And, and it, and it also doesn't mean I can't ever go back to a counselor to, to the same counselor and, and just be like, all right, I was wrong. I'm not fixed yet. Let's keep going. There has been uh, such a, a tug and pull. And I know without specifics, I know without knowing the whole story, it's hard to fully understand or appreciate the depth of what I'm talking about. But hopefully, you know, you know kind of what I'm talking about, even if you haven't had counseling yourself, even if, um, I don't know, if you've never spoken about these things in these terms. But just, it's kind of like there's a, I think we all know that there's basically a way to live that is within some sort of unspoken, invisible boundary where things will just simply go better for you. And there are many, many, many little digressions to take in this life, little paths to go down that maybe in and of themselves are not bad. Maybe in and of themselves are not evil or harmful, but just, of course, it's like the classic term of everything in moderation. We, maybe especially in America, can take those things and we taste a little bit of joy. We taste a little bit of satisfaction. And then we're just like, well, I'm going to do this thing all the time. I'm going to take this thing to its utter limit and, you know, like gobble it down, like choke ourselves on indulging in every possible corner of that thing. And that never goes well. It never goes well. It just, you know, it's, it, it leaves us feeling empty. There's this law of diminishing returns where it's just never quite the same. It's never as satisfying. And I, I, I might sound crazy to you, but I, I hope you know what I mean. And, and it doesn't have to be those big, like addictive practices. It can be much simpler and much more subtle and much more um, sort of fly under the radar but then we just realize that, oh my gosh, I've, I've been relying on this thing to be able to function in the day or to, to look forward to, to feel okay. And that might be Netflix for three hours in the evening or, 
you know, you name it, you, you know what you go to. I don't know how I got talking about that so much, but just, I recognize these things and I'm still pulled towards them, but I want to be better. And I want to be able to live in that sort of stillness, that sort of simplicity that is able to enjoy good things in this life in a proper portion and not gag myself on overindulging and just breaking and ruining the good thing, you know, by taking it too far. And I don't know what it is about my personality, but I try to take everything too far, basically, because I'm a pleasure junkie. I I know that sounds hokey to say, but that the way that I have acted in my adult life basically confirms that, you know, you might be eating too many Hawaiian barbecue chips from Trader Joe's because those are incredible, but they're incredible when you have like a, a little cup of them, not half the bag or all the bag. Um, and then you feel sick and disgusting and like, then they don't sound like they would taste very good for three weeks anyway. (laughs) So in the midst of being done with counseling, I one one of the great things that it unlocked for me that counseling like broke open in my soul was just, hey, you've wanted to do these things, these various things, not the addictive things, uh, like other desires and dreams and goals and, and just creative practices, um, one of which is this podcast. What do you know? Uh, and the other is, is writing a feature film and directing it and just being a director in general, making more movies, you know, those are two of the big ones and counseling helped me realize like, yo, you can just go do those things. You don't need to wait around and like pray about the will of God and like wait for the perfect packaged life or job or, or situation or whatever to like plop in your lap because that probably isn't going to happen. I know there are weird stories where it does, but for most of us, that is not going to be the case. Okay. And I, um, to go back to the part about praying, like I, I'm not, uh, I'm not discouraging the, the idea of praying to God. If you believe in God about things that you want to do you believe you're gifted in and would like to happen. But what I'm saying is growing up in high school and in college, I just sat on my ass for so many years waiting for some sort of fucking sign or some sort of affirmation. And the reason I get a little, you know, miffed about that is just because that was so unnecessary. I was sitting there waiting around for something that wasn't going to come when actually the freedom to do so and to just move and to start making things happen was right there the whole time. And it's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm only irritated at the fact that it happened, but I still recognize like I needed to live that life and that time. And there were things that were learned from that too. But just all that to say, counseling was like, listen, dude, if you want to be a director, go be a fucking director. You can actually do that. And is it going to look like Hollywood and money and you do it, you know, 12 hours a day? 
six days a week and you're, that is your only job that provides for your family and you're living out there and like, you know, rubbing shoulders with other talented people. In my case, at least right now, no, it's not going to look like that. Like that's, that's the daydream, which in and of itself is probably extremely flawed. And like, it wouldn't, even if I had that, it wouldn't be what I think, you know? Um, and I, at this point, I don't, idolize that specific thing, but I used to very much. Um, but it's just like, no, you can be a director in Denver and just write a movie and make it with your friends. Cause you have really talented friends and you somehow have this little pocket of people that cares about you and that is willing to help you with these things. So, you know, it's just, it's so simple. It was right there. And yeah, it looks different than the dream, but it's still doing it. And it takes time and it takes work and it's not glamorous and it's not going to make money. But is it what I feel that I can and should do? Yeah, man, it is. So I'm going to do it. Uh, And I am doing it. But anyway, that's the sort of thing where it's just like that in and of itself, that concept, the freedom to do that. um, It's so simple. And yet it took me 29 years to just arrive at that, to be told by someone else that that's okay. Uh, and some of your minds, I know, some of your brains operate way differently. And, and you don't even fathom how I could have been stuck in that for so long. Well, you must not be a type four on the Enneagram uh, because we're notorious crazy people who live in a mental cage. And sometimes we need a phrase from someone else to like open one of the locks and be like, actually, dude, I know you've been in that cage, but this cage has a living room and you can like come out and hang out in here if you want to. It's actually a really nice room. It's actually bigger than your cage. And you can like walk around in here. You can sit down, you can look at a magazine or a book. And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. New room. Radical. (laughs) I hope you're uh, tracking with me. Um, but so in all of that, even with all that confidence and the ooey gooey good feelings I was just talking about, I have been a fucking wreck the past four weeks. I mean, well, not every minute of every day, it's been kind of up and down. There have been good moments, but it's almost like in chasing the new goal or in going after, you know, the desire to make a movie, even, even the desire to do this podcast. Um, there has just been so much resistance and opposition that has risen up in life. And some of that is just life, right? I mean, things are going to happen and they're going to be inconvenient and that's fine. Like none of us escapes that. And that's, that's not what I'm upset about. Um, I'm upset that essentially like I, I know so much now and I still fall for the same bullshit. I still fall into the same habits or the same negative patterns or cognitions. I still, um, have moments where I just am convinced that I'm a piece of shit and that my friends do not love me and they don't care about me. And that's the reason I don't hear from them. And that everything I've made is hokey bullshit that is so irrelevant 
to the people of my age or the, you know, that, um, that my art is like child's play in comparison to what my friends or peers are doing, all, all these things, you know, and I don't believe any of that is true, but there are still moments when it absolutely overwhelms me like a flood that is shoving me 500 feet underwater. And at least that, you know, there have been days where I feel like I cannot move where I'm actually paralyzed. I mean, I'm going about doing my work and, and doing, you know, doing my day job and doing home life, but my brain, my excitement, my mental sort of like cogs turning, working on creative things, uh, all that gets shut down because I just get diminished to like the most minimal base version of myself uh, because of this resistance that comes up. And it's just like, <laughs> I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it is so tangibly real. Just this sensation of like, you sit down, you piece of shit. And I'm going to tell you how bad you are. I'm going to tell you how worthless you are. Um, and it, it is utterly overwhelming. I can essentially, sometimes you have no other choice, but to just ride that out, to just ride it out. And, uh, even if you have to tell yourself over and over, like this hurts, this sucks. I can't quite bring my mind out of it right now on my own strength, but I know that I will be okay. I'm going to sit in this and know that I will be okay and know that it will pass and know that this is a big emotional swell and it seems ridiculous, but like, here's where I'm at and this will pass and I will get back to normal and I will, uh, you know, write again. I will make things again. It might not be today, but anyway, it's just been more tumultuous than I might've thought, I guess. And, uh, I didn't expect perfection because perfection as a human, it just doesn't exist. And I expected that of myself for a long time to be perfect, to, to be, you know, never to be conquered by these moments. But the truth is that I just am. Sometimes, even after all my learning, even all the mental tools I have from therapy, and, and those are damn effective most of the time. Um, and that, that is still daily what keeps me going, <clears throat> are, are just these practices and these good habits and, and um, these things to contain the moments that are overwhelming and, and move on. But again, it's like not, not always. Sometimes you get knocked over by life and you just, you can't, you can't bullshit your way through it. You can't talk yourself out of it. And it's just like, all right, this is what it is. And it freaking sucks. Um, but it will pass and that's all right. So I don't know if that's helpful. I don't know if that's relatable whatsoever. Um, but just like from all that rant about my life, if the shitty moments happen to you of just great self-doubt 
or even being, you know, really caught up on yourself. Sometimes it's just that we're so self-focused that we are convinced that we're the most important thing that is possibly breathing on earth at that moment. And that, that too, sometimes getting out of that is as quick as just, um, if you're prone to, to prayer, thinking of someone in your life and just starting to pray for them instead. They don't even have to be going through anything hard, but just getting your mind on something else. And I don't, I really don't think that is stuffing it down. I don't think that's denying pushing away the, the what you're feeling. It's it's not stuffing it down to not deal with it, but it's reorienting your thinking and just going like, you know, if you can get to the, to the recognition in that moment, like I'm not, I'm not the most important thing. I'm, I'm not at all the most important thing. And there are people on this earth at this moment who are suffering greatly more than me or who are, you know, you don't have to go that extreme, even though that's true. You can just go, my friend doesn't have a job or is struggling financially or his marriage is really hard right now or, you know, whatever it may be, getting your mind on someone else and just praying for them or maybe shooting them a text and just being like, hey, I'm thinking about you. Are you doing all right? You know, because that can so quickly dissolve this sort of poisonous, negative um, feedback loop of just self-focused, self-deprecating, you're a piece of shit garbage, you know, because what, uh, like what better place to keep you, to, to prevent you from doing anything worthwhile in life than to just have you convinced that you're garbage. And so you just sit and mope and feel bad for yourself and, and believe the lies that you're being told. I mean, whether you believe in, in Satan or not, or in spiritual like opposition, whether you, you know, if you don't believe in any of that, there's still something there. Right. And it doesn't even have to be about creative endeavors. It can be just about work. It can just be about being a a person, being a spouse, or a brother or sister or a parent or a child or um, th- that, that opposition, that resistance that prevents you from just being there, being present and being at your best. It doesn't matter what it is, it, but it exists for all of us. And like what better place to keep you from doing what you are good at doing than to have you convinced that you're a worthless piece of shit and that like the, the world might be better if you just weren't in it. That's such a bunch of absolute horse shit. If you have those moments like I do, I mean, gosh, do what you can to just recognize it when it's happening and against all the other voices, just believe that it's not true it's not what defines you. It's not your identity and it's not going to last forever and that you will be okay. Yeah. It's just a drag and, and that you're not alone, (laughs) that you're so not alone in, in that experience, in those thoughts and that negativity and that discouragement, um, that you're not the only one who has those moments, you know, 
you'd you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't of the people that you admire they have those moments too nobody is exempt and if they say they are they're lying or they're in a lot of denial and they have no idea who they are and they just brush past those moments and and say that everything's fine when it isn't and I use that word resistance. That's one that I've kind of had in mind specifically because of a book recently that um, someone got me for Christmas and that I've wanted to read for a little while now. Uh, and, and hey, segue, this will be our quote for the week. All right, you knuckleheads. This book is called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And I heard about this guy from the Joe Rogan podcast it's an older one. And if you, so, well, after this, you should go listen to that if you desire or if you glean from this quote. But this thing, so it's written, it's a nonfiction book, just a short little 150 page book. If you open it and flip through it, you'll see the chapters are usually one page or less. You know, it's just little, a couple paragraphs. And basically, the whole drive behind this book which is written primarily for uh, writers and authors because this author uh, is a writer of fiction also. But um, it really applies, one, to all the, the arts, all the mediums of art, filmmaking, painting, songwriting, whatever, dance. Um, but it also even speaks to you know the business world, to the interpersonal relationships. So all that to say... It sounds like it's written for artists, and it is, but I think that um, everyone could glean from the concepts here. And yeah, the main drive of it is just, he uses this word, and that this becomes sort of the center of his, of his thrust, is that resistance is just this entity that is in our world that wants to prevent all the beautiful things from coming out, whether that be human kindness or whether that be a beautiful piece of music, whether that be a wonderful movie or a great painting or you know a great novel, there is resistance against every thing that is good and that nourishes beauty and that just perpetuates positivity for us as humans. There is opposition against all those things for them to get out. It doesn't mean they don't get out, obviously. But it just, it does this interesting thing where it sort of makes you think about everything, like the movies that mean the most to me. Some director and some other, like a handful of people probably had to fight to get that thing made. And not just fight some sort of studio system, not just fight um, literally with people, but fight against just little hindrances that pop up all over the place, fighting their own like mental landscape that is just trying to put something on paper. You know, every great movie started as basically a blank piece of paper and someone had to have the discipline to keep coming back every day and finish it and redraft it and revise it and change it until the point where it gets made. I mean, everything has a background and and I believe that every piece of art you know the person who made it fought to get it there they fought 
laziness or apathy or thinking that they were not a good artist, thinking that they were worthless and that they should just stop doing anything. Um, there's all sorts of things. So it's just what this book is, is just taking little pieces of that every day. And it's essentially just like a little devotional almost, even though it's not spiritual in nature. It's just reminding you of the presence of this opposition, reminding you you're not alone, reminding you that the work you're doing, whether it's creative or not, is good. And that, yes, it will be a battle. Yes, it will be a struggle. And yes, it's not glamorous. And it takes place every day in tiny little inconsequential moments. But it is still worthwhile because any pipe dream any any sort of false sense of like grandioseness or or imagining that some other person has their shit figured out and they don't struggle and that they just churn out gold all day and enjoy their life 100% and never have any hindrances like no no does not happen everybody is fighting against this stuff whether you're aware of it or not so our quote today comes from this book, The War of Art, and I'm just going to read you a whole chapter, which is literally two paragraphs. So, uh, you know, it's nothing too long. And this one is just called Resistance and Criticism. Quote, If you find yourself criticizing other people, you're probably doing it out of resistance. When we see others beginning to live their authentic selves, it drives us crazy if we have not lived out our own. Individuals who are realized in their own lives almost never criticize others. If they speak at all, it is to offer encouragement. Watch yourself. Of all the manifestations of resistance, most only harm ourselves. Criticism and cruelty harm others as well. End quote. Boom, bitch. So I read that earlier this week and I put a star next to the chapter because one, I think that is just so true. And because I constantly criticize other artists because I'm fucking jealous, man. (laughs) Um, you know, there, there are many, many things that I, that I like books and movies and music and whatever, and artists who are living and working now that I really respect and admire. And I just wish I could be them. I'm not critical of those guys. No, I'm critical of the guy who's 30 years old and he's made a couple feature films or he's written a couple books or he's in some popular band. And the true part of me might hear that music or watch that movie and internally be like, it's pretty good. Like, damn it, this is really good. Like, I kind of like this, or I like this a lot. But externally, I'm like, yeah, it's not that good. Like, you know, man, I just don't really appreciate it. He's, he's just copying everyone else. It's just, you know, there's nothing original there, man. I just not really feeling, you know, all that bullshit. It's like, shut up, Josh. What do you... One, who cares that you don't like something? Don't listen to it, bitch. <laughs> don't, don't, you know, you have a choice of what you can engage with. But anyway, all that to say, 
That's digressive. I was getting silly. I just mean, yes, I get jealous of other people because they are living a life that I wish that I had right now, you know? And that's kind of, as a, as a side note, that's kind of its own problem too. That sort of envy and like, and, and also thinking that they're, you know, that that sort of life would, would fix or help or change me or that I'd be satisfied then. Cause that's not true. But just the criticism is so completely unnecessary, right? I mean, because it doesn't, it, it floats out into the world as words that dissolve about 18 inches from your mouth. You know, it does nothing except if you're with other people who agree with you and they're like, yeah, yeah, fuck that guy. He's, he, I don't like what he's doing either. Um, you know, it's so silly. And we feel um, this sort of like pompous validation of just like, oh, well, he may have made a movie, but uh, I, I can see right through his narrative and I know that it's not a good movie and I can make something much better, except I haven't made anything. So shut up, Josh, you silly goose. Do you know what I'm saying? So anyway, reading this ch- chapter has helped me just recognize those moments when I feel like being critical of someone else and it just turns it around a little bit of just like, cool. I'm not crazy about Julian Baker, for example. She's an artist, musician, um, but why would I feel the need to criticize her? It's not my thing. Is she doing good work? Yeah. A lot of my friends like her. That's probably why it irritates me or, or uh, gets, gets to me because I want, I want the connection with my friends of being able to say that I also enjoy Julian Baker so that we can talk about her. But I don't like her. Sorry. <laughs> I don't think she's a shitty artist, but see, but, but previously, you know, I might've felt the, um, the desire to be critical and to, you know, shoot down her work. And there's no reason for that, you know? And it, it just, I would much rather be a source of positivity and of joy and of encouragement and, and just the, that sort of quiet confidence where I am not so insecure to where I have to put down other people's art so that I feel better about mine. And to where I have to make up reasons to feel better about my, my, my stuff because my stuff is not out there to very many people. I'm not successful in a worldly sense. I'm not, I don't have a large audience and, um, I don't think I would feel validated if I did. So all that to say, it's just, it's all learning, man. But peace and positivity and encouragement and joy and just doing what you can to make someone else's day or life better, that's radical. (laughs) Uh, I'd, I'd much prefer to exist there. So... I think that's the end of our show. My goodness, what a strange one. Maybe it isn't. I hope that you gleaned something from this. And as always, I'm not... um, I might be wrong. I might be full of hot air, as they used to say. I might change my mind about this stuff in six months or in three weeks. I don't know. So none of this is definitive None of this is common law, clearly, 
But thank you for being here with me and for listening to this. And I hope that you take something from it into your actual life that is fruitful and good and radical because it's good to be rad. I think Jesus said that. Um, Hey, listen, last thing. If you like what I'm doing, go to patreon.com slash texture pod where you can. Um, Well, you know, pitch me a few dollars for the fact that I'm doing this show. If any of that in the last however many minutes I was speaking was like, yeah, Josh, that's a nugget of gold in your words. And I'm going to take that nugget, I'm going to eat it, and it's going to hover inside my body like a warm little egg of happiness. Or maybe not happiness, but at least wisdom. And then a moment's going to come up in my life where I would have acted badly previously, but I remember that little golden egg. And I say, hey, self, you, you, you doggone knucklehead, why don't you calm down and remember that you're fine. And then, and then that moment goes a little better than it would have. It becomes the meme where it's not the rage face, but it's the meme where it's the little happy face where everything went okay. If the show texture does that to you, maybe you could support Josh Gaines with a couple of bucks, maybe even one buck per month. And what that goes towards is paying the internet fees that go to the internet man that let him, that let me put this show out on his airwaves um, and keep bringing it to you for free. So you can gather up more golden eggs in your basket. And then you can have a whole Easter basket collection of golden eggs. So go to patreon.com slash texture pod for more goodies. Love ya.